You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, this is Richard. Uh, Before we start this podcast, we had some uh, technical difficulties with our recording, so it's probably going to sound a little like uh, three people talking on a phone. Apologies for that. We will uh, we will have that fixed next week, but um, for this one, uh, it's going to sound uh, a little off, but uh, hopefully you'll still listen. Hopefully you'll still enjoy the content. And uh, coming up, Chad Finn of the Boston Globe and Ben Strauss of the Washington Post. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey, everybody. This is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer... It's Patrick Antonetti. Today, uh, 35 minutes or so of um, media roundtable talk. We have Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, who has been on this podcast many times before, and Ben Strauss of the Washington Post, who has also been on this podcast a couple of times. Chad, thank you for joining me today. I assume from Boston. You bet. Or Maine. And uh, Ben Strauss, where are you, Ben? Chicago? D.C.? I am yeah. in uh, Washington, D.C. Then I always assume news, you're just at a news ball capital game. of the world. <laughs> yes, I always assume you're at a ball game with Jimmy Pitaro of ESPN. So nice, to, nice to hear you're <laughs> in, in Washington, uh, hanging out with the newsmakers. Um, all right, here's where I want to start, and I will start with you, Ben Strauss. The NBA's viewership over the first quarter of the season is, uh, to put it bluntly, awful. They are um, they're down nationally, both for ESPN and Turner. Certainly a number of uh, RSNs that are down, but that really depends, of course, on where, um, you know, where the team is in the standings. But let's, let's focus on national because that's sort of the, the more interesting one. What are your thoughts? You know, there's a lot of you know, people have written books at this point as to why they think <laughs> the NBA's declining viewership is down. So let me, let's start here, Ben. General question: Why do you think, what, in your opinion, why why is the NBA viewership down from last year at sort of the quarter point of the season? Uh, I I think I'm uh, probably much less uh, alarmist um, than some of the red alert folks. I think uh, you've got a league based on stars, and that gives and it takes away. And when you know forty percent of the top ten stars in your sport are hurt curry clay thompson kd zion um you're not gonna have a lot of people watching those games and so i think around half the games on espn and tnt have been missing uh one or two of those guys um and so i i think in a star driven league um with no stars playing or a huge number of stars not playing you, you have a big impact what i do think um is is a really big story is adam silver's comments about the ratings and when he comes out and says the pay tv system is broken i think it speaks to to one of two things and that's either that the nba is being way over dramatic about some bad press um after years and years of good press uh first china this season and now you know they're getting asked about these ratings that are down um and they're sort of, you know, lashing out and saying, this is not our fault, blame television. Or 
you know, Adam Silver is saying something that, that nobody else, he really believes this, and he's saying something that nobody in his position has said out loud or as dramatically as, as anyone has before. So I think his reaction um, to this is, is sort of really striking. All right, Chad, you heard, uh, you heard Ben's thoughts. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I think Ben's right on. I'm not really one of those uh, alarmists with it either. I think it's actually going to get better over the course of the season as some of the villains emerge. I think people are still getting used to the Lakers uh, having uh, being a good team again after missing the playoffs for the last seven years, I believe it's been. Uh, the Anthony Davis-LeBron James thing is going to be more compelling as the season goes on if those guys stay healthy. Uh, I think another aspect of it is, I believe you might even written about this, Richard, the, the Warriors are supposed to be on national television 30 times this year. And now if you turn on, if you're looking on Twitter uh, at the Golden State Warriors Twitter feed and they'll, they'll tweet out a highlight with the, the, uh, you know, the, the name or the Twitter address of the player, I have no idea who the player is by his Twitter address right now because it's a, it's a team made up of obscure guys and uh, you know, Clay Thompson's off the year. Steph Curry had his injury, and suddenly the marquee team in the league, the most fun team to watch uh, when those two guys are on, uh, doesn't exist anymore, at least for this season. So I think that was a pretty big blow, too. And then China was a part of it, but um, I'm not huge on ascribing political or social issues to the effects on sports ratings. I think people really overdid it with the NFL with it. Uh, when the ratings dipped a little bit in the midst of the Kaepernick stuff and the players kneeling. And I just, I didn't see that big of a connection of it. And I, I don't think that's a huge part of it here, even though uh, you'll see stories talking about how that is, uh, that might be, a, might be having some sort of effect. But I just, I tend to think it's a league still sort of finding its shape this year because the Warriors aren't the Warriors anymore. And uh, it's as open-ended as it's been for a long time, but uh you know, once teams start to emerge as the, the really compelling teams, and I think that'll be the Lakers primarily, um, its uh, numbers are going to go up. Ben, what do you, Mark Cuban sort of posited the idea that um, the league is really hurt by being on cable as opposed to network. There's a big difference, of course, in NBA inventory, NHL, in, NHL inventory, Major League Baseball inventory versus the NFL, and that's just limited inventory for the NFL. It's on once a week generally speaking, and the network possibilities are better for that sport uh, because, you know, it, it, it would seem to be hard for a network to find uh, as many dates as you might want for the NBA. But I'm curious as to what you, what you sort of thought of just Cuban's notion there that that's, you know, the league has been hurt by not being on an ABC or an NBC or an ABC, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think that sort of the um – the counter argument to that is some uh, college football, I think, is is doing pretty well on FS1 and ESPN and, you know, hockey isn't down and they're on cable, too. I know you mentioned them, but um, I think I think it's cyclical. And I think that um, right, like the NBA is never going to be on ABC on a Tuesday night. Um, you know, there's too much there's too many games. Um, and so I I. I tend to think that Mark Cuban and I think the NBA in general is interested in, um, you know, having structural issues with, um, 
television be the culprit for these headlines rather than structural issues with the NBA. Um, and and I think it's it's easier to blame TV than to or to 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 have other people look at TV than to look at um, you know the NBA. Chad, last note on this, and that would be, you know, there there's a thought, and there's probably some truth to it that the today's twenty something won't doesn't watch the NBA the way, let's say, maybe me and you watched it. I don't know how Ben is probably a twenty something, so who knows that? But uh, <laughs> thirty three you know, guys, thirty three. Hey, congratulations! <laughs> uh, well done. Um, so you know, like Chad, like you know, like there's a lot of I think. You know, and I, just, I totally understand it. This is sort of the way of the the way of the world these days. But you know, rare I think is not rare. That's wrong. But there will be twenty somethings who aren't going to sit down and watch from you know from tip till the end of the game. The, their consumption of the NBA may be highlights. You check out a couple things on House of Highlights. You watch Bleacher Report. You know, yeah. you see the highlights. So, or maybe you're listening to a podcast. You know, you're not necessarily like watching television the way. Um, somebody older might be, and thus the metrics that are traditionally used here and television sort of still rules all this. You know, maybe that's not how we should think when it comes to the NBA, which is a very, very um, social-friendly sport and a very, very sort of uh, forward-thinking sport when it comes to digital. You know, so I, I wonder, and maybe this isn't going to happen for 10, 15, 20 years, but, you know, I don't know, maybe YouTube, like, uh, YouTube views should be sort of thought in the same way a, you know, a television viewer is thought. Of course, the money's not the same, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm getting at, Chad? I just, I wonder yeah. if there's a larger thought process in that a lot of today's NBA fan does not watch uh, his or her product the way I think an NFL fan does. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that it's strange to say, but the league might be too good at social media. Um, my daughter is a teenager in high school, and she loves the league. She follows the league uh, passionately, and her information comes from House of Highlights and a bunch of different Instagram feeds, which will uh, NBC Sports Boston Celtics Instagram feed constantly updating during the game. So uh, the highlights that you used to have to wait to see on uh, Sports Center with you know Dan and Keith, uh, you're getting thirty thirty by you know two minutes probably after they happen on the. Uh, one feed or another that you're following. And uh, I think in terms of a national sense, everybody is always really up on what James Harden, uh, you know, James Harden scoring 60 points or, uh, you know, some crazy Giannis highlight. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're following by tuning into NBA TV to watch a game on a Wednesday night or, uh, you know, hanging around with, to Chuck and Kenny and those guys uh, to catch some game that really doesn't have a regional interest to them. So I know what we're seeing here in Boston, Celtics numbers are way up this year because they have a more uh, compelling team on their, their regional cable network than they did a year ago, a more likable team for sure. And I think the way people follow that is, yeah, they tune in regionally to watch their game, but uh, they're not going to, they're not going to watch Sixers Raptors just for the heck of it on a given night. And, and they're, they're going to sort of stick to following that stuff, uh, on social and in a really consumable way that doesn't involve watching 48 minutes of the basketball game. So, uh, yeah, that definitely is a, that definitely is a factor in that. Ben, you are the same age as you are the same age as Drake then. So I want you to weigh in. 
<laughs> I don't know if that makes me feel old or young, honestly. <laughs> what are your um, thoughts about But I would say, I think it's, it's interesting in how we think about the NBA, um, sort of this discussion about younger generations of fans and being really good at social media. And for the last several years, it's been super interesting how much the NBA has been praised for being good at this stuff and how strategically that the, you know, the demographic and the way that it connects to young people is, you know, the future, you know, dominant sport. And all of a sudden, um, now the NBA in, in a new way has sort of has to answer the question of how do you monetize that fan? Um, because that fan is probably never going to have a cable, uh, subscription, um, certainly uh, sitting here today, they probably won't, who knows what, you know, great rebundling comes in the future. But I think that's an interesting long-term, uh, question, sort of how we think about the NBA and the way that we've really lauded the league, um, for, you know, that particular business strategy. That's uh, it's well said. Chad, I want to go back to you and, uh, We'll go, we'll go to a couple of different topics really quick. The and Major League Baseball just had a uh, pretty massive um, week in terms of seismic moves, Anthony Rendon to the Angels, Garrett Cole to the Yankees, you know, a lot of movement. And usually, you know, when the NBA has its crazy offseason, there's always the thought like, wow, like people are going to be so interested in the season. It's going to translate to viewership and ratings. It's not always the case, but it's interesting all the same. Do you think this offseason – um, what do you, or let me ask it this way. How do you feel the MLB offseason, this current little offseason stretch, will it have any kind of metric viewership impact when the regular season starts in a couple months? Probably not. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it'll probably be a regional thing. You know, the Angels get a little bit more interest. Uh, you know, if the Red Sox end up trading Mookie Betts, is uh, sort of a rumor that's hovered around here since the end of the season. Uh, little less interest here in the you know regional network but uh, overall in general for uh for baseball it, it's got issues that aren't going to be solved by some interesting player moves in december uh it's got to still figure out how to get games under three and a half hours i mean three and a half hours isn't even a terrible length anymore um it's got to figure out a way to uh to, to maybe sacrifice a little bit of money to bring in more viewership of younger fans, which means not starting World Series games at, you know, 8.38 or whatever time they start. It's uh, uh, It's got bigger, broader issues about the way the game is presented and the actual amount of action in a game that really aren't relative to uh, Garrett, Garrett Cole going to the Yankees or Rendon going to uh, the Angels or any of those moves. The, the the one interesting thing that probably is favorable is that these moves are happening now, uh, and you don't have that big drag in the off season like you did last year. It's it's funny that it's Scott Boris's guys. I saw a bunch of different the baseball writers Twitter feeds about how he's got about eight hundred eighty million dollars of contracts here in the winter meetings. He's the guy who always drags things out. He did it uh, a couple of years ago when JD Martinez uh, signed with the Red Sox and. He's kind of been the guy that's taken the air out of the offseason when he's had a lot of clients in recent years. So uh, in a way, you know, it brings a buzz right now, but I don't think that that buzz is going to be sustainable to the point that it actually affects the, the overall appeal of the game. Ben, did you want to add anything? I guess it's probably good. Fox doesn't mind that the Yankees are World Series favorites now. <laughs> well, no doubt. Uh, that uh, 
you know, the, the one day, the, uh, one day Fox will, you know, perhaps get their dream of, uh, Yankees Dodgers or Yankees Cubs, but Yankees, regardless, is the game changer when it comes to, for, uh, the traditional World Series metric for Fox to, uh, to change. We will eventually get into this, uh, down the road, but, uh, uh, Chad, just a quick comment from you. CBS averaged uh, 7.1 million viewers for its SEC football package this year. That's the best number since 2013. Uh, second best number, I think, since 2001. I've written this before. Probably Ben has written it. Probably you've written it. But it is just unbelievable how great a bargain that has been for CBS Sports. And when the contract comes up, as it's coming up fairly soon, somebody is going to pay a fortune, or if not, somebody's are going to pay a fortune for uh, that SEC package. It is uh, it is basically just essentially guaranteed viewership every Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you've got the, until this year anyway, you got the Alabama uh, dynasty, which is basically the right down to the humorless coach. It's a parallel to, to the Patriots here, uh, and uh, so you've got sort of a built-in villain already, and then Clemson uh, has emerged as a real challenger and a team that could take them down over the last couple of years. And now LSU has, uh, you know, has Joe Burrow as one of the most compelling prospects to come along, along in a long time. So uh, they've just got this of abundance of riches of interesting tales and plot lines. And they've already got the built-in longstanding rivalries, the, the great uh, visuals around the game. It's just, just how they look, the tailgates and the, you know, the college kids being so pumped up about it. And, uh, yeah, that is an absolute bargain. And uh, I'm really curious to see what they end up paying when that uh, when the, 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 the new contract is out because it's going to be a heck of a lot more than what they paid the last time. Yeah, someone is going to pay. All right, let's take a, uh, let's take a brief uh, pause from our conversation to talk about musician. Uh, I love music. And one of my great regrets is not continuing the piano lessons that uh, my mother wisely got me when I was a little kid. Something uh, I've always wanted to do. And, uh, you know, the usual things that prevented it. Life comes up. Piano lessons or music lessons are really expensive. I'd actually love to learn uh, many different instruments. But um, let's talk about musician. Because uh, did you know that as many as 7 out of 10 adults wish they played a musical instrument? Similar to me. Unfortunately, many never do because they think it's either too late for them to start, too expensive, or they feel they don't have the time. That's where Musician comes in. Musician is an online music education platform rethinking the way people learn music. It's the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, or even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician's award-winning technology actually listens to you play, gives you real-time feedback on timing and accuracy, no need for chords or special equipment. With Musician, you'll learn to play your favorite songs faster than ever, and you'll have fun doing it. Now, uh, don't be intimidated if you're just starting out, because Musician is perfect whether you are just beginning this journey or you've been playing for years. You can enjoy thousands of popular songs. Crafted lessons and exercises across dozens of genres. You'll even learn music theory, sheet reading, and tablature too. And compared to private lessons, Musician is so much more affordable, and it lets you learn on your own schedule. Musician's designed to be fun and addictive, almost like Guitar Hero or Rock Band with real instruments. They give you 24-7 access to step-by-step video tutorials from world-class educators. You'll get bite-sized lessons, easy-to-follow instructions, 
and exercises tailored to your goals. I promised my daughter that I would uh, learn how to play uh, Call Me Maybe on guitar, and Musician is helping there. Thank you, Musician. Uh, it is an incredibly easy to use app. And again, like I said, whether you're just starting out or you've been playing for years, Musician can help you. Now, this is the important part. So if you've been wanting to learn an instrument or simply want to get some help getting back to playing, check out Musician. You can get an extended 14-day free trial of their premium package at musician.com play. That's unlimited lessons, unlimited songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com play to start your free trial today. That's musician, Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash play. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Ben Strauss, I want to stick with you and change the the subject matter entirely. We're taping this uh, uh, mid-November, mid-November, mid-December, which, uh, you know, every single... Uh, Every single publication, no matter where it is, loves nothing more than end of the year list and looking forward to the next year. So off the top of your head, this is not an easy thing to do, but as we think about 2020 in the sports media, what do you think some of the bigger stories will be? What comes to mind over the next 12 months for you? I think uh, the one you just touched on is a big one. I think uh, the SEC thing is going to be super interesting. Um. I'm really curious, right, that CBS, you know, bid for the Champions League. And if that was coming from Viacom as part of that merger, do they have more money than might have been thought? And so do they, you know, pay to keep the SEC? Obviously, ESPN would want it. Um, you also think about NBC um, as a possibility. So I'm, I'm pretty curious to see where the SEC goes. I'm also curious, you know, we're going to start to get into um, – the NFL uh, package that, um, you know, we'll start talking about it next year. And that's, you know, sort of drives the whole sports media industry. Um, so those are two, but I guess maybe the one that I'm most interested in is sort of 2019 has been a bloodbath for sports writing. Um, when you think about yeah. SI, you think about Deadspin, um, the Detroit Free Press just had layoffs that hit the sports section. Um, the Times Picayune uh, folded. Um, you have Gannett and Gatehouse have merged. Alden Capital is now the largest shareholder of Tribune Company. Uh, I sort of wonder what or how bad it is going to get for sports writing and. Aside from the athletic, uh, where are jobs going to be lost, and and are there any, you know, replacement, or you know, aside from the athletic, are there any places for people to go? Um, 
And I think to me, that might be the biggest story of 2019 or sorry, 2020. Yeah, that's, um, you know, it's a depressing topic to think about them, but, uh, you know, uh, sort of well thought out by you. I, I will say having worked there for many, many years, um, I don't think the story is going to be good for Sports Illustrated. I have, I've said this before on this podcast, I have zero faith in the Maven as editorial stewards of Sports Illustrated. I, I would expect more layoffs in 2020, unfortunately. Um, I think that publication's best hope is actually to get a different steward. We'll see what happens there. But, you know, outside of the Times and your paper, Ben, uh, Chad's paper a little bit, you know, some of the big papers, I, 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 I see more cost-cutting um, especially with some pretty bad hedge fund types uh, take over this. We saw what happened to Bitstein and those jobs. Uh, Chad, you are welcome to um, you are welcome to follow Ben in terms of his sort of last thought about will there be more sports writing jobs? I mean, there's always going to be a place to write. The question is, can you get a job where you can you know you can make a living, where you can pay your rent, etc. Uh, so you're welcome to comment on that. In addition to what you see as the sort of maybe some of the main stories in, in the sports media in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it's very disheartening and it's very true. And I feel like, uh, you know, the tipping point was what happened at sports illustrated, just, uh, watching that iconic brand get gutted by people who in, uh, you know, the, the, the people behind Maven who in their past have had no idea how to run a media company. They've just had uh, a really good sense of how to ruin one. So, um, it's ominous and it's, uh, probably worse than ominous, and it strikes me as, I don't know, uncomfortable, I guess, when I see people actually signing on to go there. And I, I hate feeling that way because uh, I, when, when Sports Illustrated laid off a bunch of, uh, you know, its most talented writers and, 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 pers- and people, uh, I heard from so many people saying, well, I'm going to cancel my subscription now, and you know, I'm all done with that place, and it's like this supposed to be a show of solidarity or something but in reality it hurts the people who still remain who are uh you know still competent people some still some of their best writers are still there uh but it is weird to me when i see a name like pat 40 who's uh, just a terrific uh, terrific writer on college sports especially ends up going there and i just I, I wonder what the end game is if they're gonna still bring in a couple really talented names but still continue to gut it and gut it and gut it some more until there's uh you know, shreds left. Uh, but in terms of, in terms of the other question after that, uh, you know, sort of happy notes, uh, I think it's Tony Romo's. Yeah. It, it, it's Tony Romo's contract. I think, uh, probably CBS that, uh, jumps out at me the most, just uh, where he ends up, you know, ESPN, uh, has a daydream of, of getting him back over there. And, uh, he's, he, he, uh, he's still fantastic at the job, still has the enthusiasm he had when, uh, when he first popped into the booth and uh, uh, this is someone any network would, would love to have as their number one announcer. And he's going to get paid that way. You look back in his career. I think he Dallas with 2013, he signed a $108 million contract. I don't think he's going to get that, but I, what does he make now? $4 million a year. Uh, he's going to get uh, much, much more than $4 million a year on his next deal. And frankly, I think he's probably worth it for the buzz that he brings and for, uh, for how good he is at the job. Yeah, those are interesting ones. I'll predict Romo stays at CBS. I feel pretty comfortable about that prediction. And I'm with you, certainly. I think the NFL, uh, where the NFL right field ultimately goes, we're going to hear a lot about that next year. And in terms of Ben's thought about uh, 
sort of sports writing where the jobs are. I do. I mean, it's it's obviously a micro story. It doesn't necessarily affect as many people macro wise, but that that absolutely will uh, that absolutely will continue. The drumbeat, I think, of layoffs will uh, will absolutely continue. Well, you, you have to you have to root for the athletic to succeed. I mean, because even if you're somebody who still works in a newspaper like us and you've seen colleagues go or people get offers and decide to stay, there's so many talented people there and so many big names and, and such an investment in quality that you have to want it to work because the, 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 the opposite of it is so many great people are out of, of, out of a gig and there's no know what comes next if you feel like the industry had just collapsed on itself. So you got to pull for the athletic, even if you're not somebody who's already on the payroll, like, uh, like you are. Yeah. Trust me, Chad, I'm, pull- I'm pulling for the athletic. Don't, I'm, I am, <laughs> I am not only am I pulling for it, I am front and center in pushing as much athletic, uh, content yeah. as I can. You know, one thing they don't you're teach you in journalism merch. school, they don't teach you to sell merch and they don't teach you to market and they should. I got no problems waving the flag. Of yep. uh, of uh, of that place, and my landlord thanks them every day. I'll be very honest. <laughs> um, lastly, and Ben, I'll stick with you. I um, I'm a huge podcast listener. Uh, in addition to this, you know, very small niche podcast I have here. Um, I love the medium. I think it's really really fascinating. I've always loved audio just as a medium, but um, there's a lot of great sports podcasts. Uh, probably the one place where I think we could still find. Um, even more evolution is sort of the narrative podcast, but even that's been coming from 3030 30 and Sports Illustrated uh, uh, did some interesting things, or at least Tim Rohan did before he was laid off by that place. So, you know, we're, yeah, the Charlotte Observer did a great one. I thought Scott Fowler and company with Ray Carruth. It's a great time in sports podcast. And I wonder from your perspective, Ben, uh, where do you see that going? Um, do you still see growth? My God, can we actually afford another NBA podcast? Do you, I mean, do you still see growth? And, and if so, like, where is the growth? Because I love the medium. And honestly, I'm the first to admit, I don't know if we've reached critical mass. I don't know. if that, it, it strikes me that maybe there's still room to grow because it's a young medium and a lot of young people like it. And uh, it's cheap to produce and cheap, cheap to distribute. So maybe, maybe we're still at the beginning. What do you think? Yeah, I, you sort of feel like every day you look up and, and somebody new has a podcast and you're like, who possibly can listen to all of these podcasts, quite quite honestly. But, I mean, you've been doing it for a long time um, and sort of on the first wave of it. But but I, I guess I don't, I don't understand the economics of it exactly, but it seems as though, you know, they're under um, – like advertising money is outpacing the demand for podcasts. And so as long as that's true, it would seem like we're going to have more podcasts. Um, and I, I think that's a good thing. Um, the uh, sort of the example is, is, you know, we, we talked about journalism jobs, where are they going and sports writing, but I, I do think you mentioned Rohan and, uh, the Ray Carruth one at the Charlotte Observer, and ESPN did one, Ramona Shelburne did one. Um, I sort of wonder if the podcast is sort of going to become the new magazine article, you know, that you spend 30 minutes with. You know, we saw Michael Lewis, like on the news side, you know, isn't doing magazine stories. He's doing, you know, short, you know, form like Audible 
stories. And so I wonder if there's and it sort of if that's the consumption pattern that's changing, you might see some of ESPN, the magazine's best writers sort of do maybe not a series, but sort of a long form podcast, you know, the Wicker Sham Vanatta NFL articles. If you start end up seeing some of those less in print than more as sort of audio stories and in podcast form. That's really interesting, Ben. Um, I like that. I like I like your thought there, and I think I think we are going to see that. And um, you know, the Athletic started its daily podcast and hired Kavitha David. It's not hired, but but assigned Kavitha Davidson to that, who was traditionally a writer. Obviously, ESPN's using Mina Kimes on there. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, like well-known people in the business sort of tend to head towards audio. What about you, Chad? Uh, and again, sort of a broad overview of where sports podcasts are, where they might be going, and is there a um, is there a content play that you think there's a, it's, that's a growth area? Yeah, you know, I I feel like everybody's still kind of chasing the the the, the serial model. You know, the with, with the uh, that was the first one that really seemed to catch newsrooms' attention uh, in terms of the impact that it could have. For you know the Boston Globe, the Washington Post, the New York Times, if you had some sort of uh, series like uh, you know like Sarah Koenig's there, and and uh, we did one relatively similar. Uh, it was also a written piece by Bob Holler on the whole everything that happened to Aaron Hernandez, basically his life story. Um, that uh, I can't remember how many parts it was, but uh, it was it was promoted both as a podcast and as a, a, a serial of stories in the newspaper. Um, you know, in general, I, I'm just happy for him, man, because as somebody who uh, has to listen to a lot of sports radio as part of his job, you're, you're a captive audience in your car when you're listening to that, and uh, it can, can drive you crazy. Uh, the, the, the podcasts, you can, they're, they're, you can pick and choose what you want to listen to, and there are so many good ones, on, even on similar topics. You mentioned the NBA, and I started running through my head on all the, the good NBA podcasts that I don't have enough time for, whether it's, you know, the, the, the one Simmons and, and Rasul and those guys do at the ringer and, uh, or, uh, you know, Zach Lowe or whoever. Uh, and I, I feel like maybe there's a saturation point in the market coming at some point, but I think what happens there is people just get into it too late and they don't really draw the, the audience that they would have if they had started around the time you did, you did, or, uh, you know, Simmons at Grantland with his podcast or, uh, you know, some of the ones that are really well established. If if you're even a well-known basketball writer now and you fire up a podcast, you're just, it's going to be an uphill battle to, to, to compete with the, you know, the Zach Lowe's of the world and people like that. But uh, I'm really, I'm really, really grateful that, uh, that we have them now because I feel like they're sort of the best of, uh, you know, what, sports journalism or not necessarily journalism, but sports entertainment has to offer. And it's a hell of a lot better than sports radio. All right, Chad, that's a, that's a good note to end on. It's, that's really interesting. Um, ben Strauss is the sports media writer for the Washington post. Check out his work at the post as well as um, his uh, Twitter feed where he'll tweet out his stuff and also other interesting things of note. Chad Finn is the sports media writer of the Boston Globe, and uh, the same uh, same direction goes for him. Follow both of these guys; they're very insightful and um, and offer an interesting perspective on all this stuff. Ben, Chad, I appreciate you making time for me today. I changed your schedules around. It was very nice of you <laughs> to accommodate me 
Thank you very much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. You guys will be both back on again. I only came on because I was promised a million listens. <laughs> thanks, Rick. That would be, yeah, my last name isn't Simmons, then. But thank you, Ben, regardless. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Take care. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Chad Finn of the Boston Globe and Ben Strauss of the Washington Post for their time and that conversation. If you like this kind of stuff, sports media talk, sports media interviews, please go to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch page on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. That is basically how the podcast continues. Previous guest prior to these guys, I had a 40-minute talk with Joe Buck where I thought he was really, really honest and transparent, funny and interesting. Um, Maybe gives you a little bit of different side of what you think of Joe Buck, and that's the last episode prior to this one. And if you go down the list on the archives, whether it's James Andrew Miller, Robert Klemko to Washington Post on how to be an investigative reporter in the NFL, had Michael Smith do an exit interview coming off of ESPN, Isabella Grishudian, who's a Washington Post uh, Capitals writer, who's now going to Moscow to cover politics and Russia there, Uh, Sam Amick, Ian Dark, Taylor Twellman, and uh, the list... uh, goes on and on. I think uh, no matter what you are interested in or what sport you might watch on TV, I probably have done somebody uh, within that field that you may be interested in. So check out the archives on the Sports Media Richard Deitch page. My thanks to Patrick Antonetti, my producer, and everybody else at Cadence 13 who makes this podcast possible from Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, Sean Cherry, and John McDermott. We, happy holidays, I should say, to you and yours, and we'll see you again soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.